everyone, and welcome into Ratchet & Wrench Radio, your podcast for strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm Noah Brown, Senior Digital Editor for Adapt Automotive and guest host for Ratchet & Wrench Radio. The ongoing right to repair legal battle in Massachusetts has been a fixture in automotive aftermarket headlines for almost two years now, and a lot has happened since state voters approved the measure on the November 2020 ballot. Almost a year after the issue went to a bench trial, including five delays, Judge Douglas Woodlock said he plans to make a decision this Friday, July 1st. It's not the first time he's reset a deadline, so there's no way to know for certain if a decision will come down. And even if it does, it's all but guaranteed that the losing side will appeal, which will extend the wait even more. Nevertheless, Friday is an important day for the aftermarket. We're dipping back into a conversation that was featured on the ADAPT podcast last month in which we talked with Aaron Lowe, Senior Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs with the Auto Care Association, about what's at stake in the decision and why shop owners outside of Massachusetts should care. So for our listeners who may not know kind of the full story about that, if you could give them just like the 60-second Sparknotes version of what has happened um, and uh, and what's going on right now. Yeah, so um, back in 2020, November of 2020, in the uh, election in Massachusetts, um, we supported a ballot initiative that would ensure that uh, the data on the vehicles was available to independent repair shops if customers wanted to do business with them. So anybody who had uh, uh, wireless data access had to make sure that the car owner could direct that repair and diagnostic data uh, to an independent shop from the vehicle if they if they wanted to do business with them. And, and it could direct it to a dealer as well. It didn't matter. But you but the car owner would have control. And it was to ensure that, you know, there, there was continued competition, that companies could compete um, for the, the repair business as more and more data is sent wirelessly. So the ballot initiative passed by um, – an overwhelming margin, 75 to 25 percent, despite the fact that the manufacturers have spent um, upwards of $25 million to fight it. So I think, you know, it indicated support for the independent repair industry, competition, um, uh, that Massachusetts car owners uh, or the electorate felt. About two weeks after he, that ballot initiative was approved by the voters, the car companies decided to file a legal action in federal court. Um, say, uh, and it, the, the, you know, the, the case was wide ranging. It was a, it was a large number of, of, of um, issues that the, the, the manufacturers, the suit was filed by the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which represents the vehicle manufacturers. Um, but I guess some of the basic of the suit were that it was preempted by federal law, um, that there would be cybersecurity issues, and I think that they felt they couldn't meet it by the model year 2022 deadline. So the case went to the judge wanted to have a speedy trial. Uh, so the case actually went to trial in June of 2021. Uh, so not pretty quick by um, by by legal standards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the judge then said he would have a verdict by, um, I think he said by August. Um, and although he, he also discussed maybe July, but it was August, supposedly August was the target date. He subsequently now, I won't go through the entire history, but he's delayed it 
several times, five times, and now the um, the latest was back in on um, just before I think it was Good Friday where he decided he wasn't going to issue it now till July second. Mm-hmm. So we're by July we'll be well over a year from the actual trial which occurred in Boston. Um, it's an amazing amount of time and. The, uh, the delays are surprising that we're waiting, considering he was at, at different at early stages of the trial was wanting to get this decided as soon as possible. Right. And so kind of going into the nuts and bolts of the trial itself, the main argument for the AAI is the lack of available technology to build uh, the compliance system. They said they don't have everything that they would need to build a compliance system to allow uh, that kind of access to information right now. I, I, I don't know if there's an unbiased uh, answer to this, depending on who you ask, but um, what would a system that that they're describing, what does that look like and how far off yeah. are we from having a system like that? We're really not that far off at all. It's really a case of um, really the manufacturers deciding they're going to comply rather than just saying we're just going to stick our feet in the ground. There is our, There are international standards in place for data to be cyber securely shared between vehicles, between vehicles and infrastructure. And those same standards could definitely can be used for the sharing of data between vehicles and um, independent repair shops with authorization by the car owner. I mean, the, 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 there are electronic certificates that are used every day by, by people in this country for banking. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different avenues where data is being shared and done cyber securely and safely. And so vehicles could, could do, you know, this technology is not really rocket science. It can be done. The technologies there that we're, you know, ready and willing to work with them to implement it, it's just a case of, Instead of fighting this, just saying we're going to implement what the voters asked for and and and, and getting the job done. Mm-hmm. And so, as you're mentioning, uh, five delays in this case now almost up to a year since the judge set his initial deadline. What does a months long delay mean for the trial? What kind of uh, how does that affect not just Massachusetts, but how does that affect the aftermarket as well? Yeah, I mean, it's concerning because um, the technology continues to be placed on vehicles. And meanwhile, we're not really moving forward to ensure competition. And so, yeah, it's very concerning that we've been waiting and waiting instead of actually um, beginning implementation. Or alternatively, the other issue that you know we, we have to talk about is the possibility that whoever loses this lawsuit will likely file an appeal. Uh, to the first circuit, uh, so that you know that will be a fruit that could be a further delay, um, or there could be legislative action that is taken. Um, so there's a lot of different things that need to occur to get to finally actually get to implementation. And the more this judge delays actually um, issuing a verdict, the longer you know we go without actually addressing this whole issue of data access and competition. So it's a loss for ultimately for the car owners um, in the state of Massachusetts, but it's a loss for the aftermarket as well.
From the team that brings you auto service professional, Fender Bender, Modern Tire Dealer, Nolan, and Ratchet and & Wrench, comes the Adapt Automotive Technology Summit, a unique opportunity to learn directly from automakers and industry thought leaders on the shifting landscape of automotive technology. Held September 24th through 25th in Arlington, Texas, immediately following the Ratchet & Wrench Management Conference and immediately preceding the Fender Bender Management Conference, Adapt will feature leading voices in the industry, all discussing how shop owners like you can be prepared to handle the most progressive technology trends disrupting the industry. Register for ADAPT today. Use code PODCAST at ADAPTSummit.com for $400 off. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you are, we'd love it if you'd subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Check out ADAPTAutomotive.com for the latest on automotive technology news and industry trends. Now, back to the interview. And so regardless of what decision, so I guess we're going to break down uh, both sides. Uh, but what kind of precedent would this set um, for other states uh, if the judge sides with the voters and with the aftermarket and if the judge rules in favor of the auto industry? It's hard to speculate on exactly what the impact is going to be until we actually see what he says. And so he has a lot of different options on how he could rule on this. And then when it goes to appeal... You know, the, obviously there'll be people arguing on both sides of that case as well. But, you know, we need uh, we need to see what the substance is. It, it doesn't even matter exactly always what, whether you win or lose, but also how whoever wins or loses. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yes, that does make sense. Uh, and obviously we can't really speculate how long uh, this will continue to go on because obviously we've already had so many delays uh, and if it gets uh, you know to an appeal who knows how long that's going to take but kind of realistically uh, it seems like we're not going to have a, a firm answer yes or no for quite some time correct I would say that the likelihood is that it will be appealed and that could delay it by another year um, possibly. It's hard to know exactly. They, it could be a little shorter, it could be a little longer. But I would say that's sort of the average of what it likely would be. But, you know, the, the, there's also the possibility that, you know, there could be um, other legislation on the federal or state level that could start moving forward, uh, depending on what the judge rules on. So, you know, we're we're watching, we're, you know, we're concerned at the delay and we're concerned about, um, you know, the voters spoke pretty loudly. And I think, you know, they, they, they should be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's unfortunate that we've been delayed this long. Mm-hmm. When you're stuck in these, you know, appeals processes and all of these delays, it can get to a point where a lot of people who aren't like immediately impacted. So people outside of Massachusetts are thinking, oh, well, this really doesn't affect me right now. So I'm just not going to pay attention to it. Why should people in the aftermarket outside of Massachusetts care about what's going on right now? Well, I mean, it's huge. Uh, It's it's critically important to competition to the future of automotive service. If we, you know, if ultimately this battle is lost, which I, I don't think it will be, but if it is, you know, who controls, does the manufacturer become the gatekeeper for the vehicle? And I think that's ultimately what's at stake here. I think it's critical that, you know, cars have always controlled the repair part of, of their vehicle. And it's been, you know, that ability has kept car ownership relatively affordable for Americans. 
you know, other countries, it isn't quite, you know, it has not been that way. And the manufacturers have controlled the repair part of the market much more. Um, but we've seen this growth in right to repair. Australia just passed um, their version of right to repair. South Africa passed their version of right to repair. Other countries are looking at this issue. And, you know, it's, it's critically important that, you know, with technology changing, that the owner of the vehicle continue to be the one deciding who's going to be able to, you know, access their vehicle to do the repairs. So I think the Bell Initiative is, is incredibly important, and I hope, you know, people are watching what's happening. Um, there's also a federal bill. There's a repair act that's, that's been introduced um, that does a lot of the same things as the Massachusetts Bell Initiative, but it would be a national requirement. So that is that that's already being, you know, discussed in Congress and so that, you know, people anywhere in the country can support that bill, H.R. 570. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they, while the court case, you know, we're, we're obviously everybody's frustrated, um, the stakes are high, um, but, you know, win, win or lose on that case, it's not going to be over. We're, you know, we're going to continue to fight to make sure that, you know, repair continues to be open and competitive. And that'll do it for us here on Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Noah Brown, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. As a reminder, from the team that brings you Fenderbender comes the Fenderbender Management Conference. At the Fenderbender Management Conference, we bring together 200 plus owners, operators, and decision makers from progressive, forward thinking collision repair shops. The Fenderbender Management Conference features more than 30 strategy sessions created and presented by top performers within the collision repair industry, bringing Fenderbender Magazine to life. In addition to the strategy sessions, you will also receive more than 12 hours of time to network, meet with your peers, and interact with your industry vendors. Held September 26th through the 28th in Arlington, Texas, FBMC will feature leading voices like Mike Anderson, Daryl Amberson, and Louis Sharp discussing how shop owners like you are able to find guaranteed solutions to achieve your goals and sustain future success. Tickets are expected to sell out. Register for the Fenderbender Management Conference today. Use code PODCAST at FenderbenderConference.com for a discount to this year's event.